Pete, uh, you know, it's kind of easy to forget sometimes, but we're very clearly in the future, if you think about it. Oh, I didn't expect this to start there. With what our smartphones can do in our pockets, and we have self-driving cars, like all of these things. No, we're not literally in the future, but it's the kind of things that we used to think about being in the future are here, Mm -hmm. or they're coming out more and more. And something that I always think about when I was growing up about the future was virtual reality. You know virtual reality, right? I am a massive fan of Lawnmower Man. (laughs) The movie? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't care for it. Love the sequel. Anyways, what do you think about when you think about virtual reality? I think about the movie, actually, Disclosure, which involved the virtual reality filing system. Remember where he had to put on the thing on his head and actually walk down a hall? Michael Douglas and Demi Moore. Yeah. Right? And and Demi Moore's avatar. And he had to walk down a hall and actually thumb through files. And I remember thinking, if that's my future of virtual reality, I'll have none of it. Yeah, because I have hands and we have file cabinets. That's not saving anything. It's a good point. Disclosure. Look it up. Audible. (laughs) Anyways, what I've always thought about was gaming. Oh, video yes. games yeah. no, that it seemed like that would always be uh the future and that's what would be more and more immersive and that's becoming a real thing and it makes all the sense in the world to me now but i never connected the dots on how it could be used but luckily smarter people than me have vr is being used to help people with their phobias and their anxiety this sounds like right up our alley taking away from vr for one second there's a thing that's been around for forever and it's called exposure therapy And basically, in this form of therapy, psychologists create a safe environment in which to expose individuals to the things that they fear and avoid. It can be exposure to a feared object or activity or situation, but in a safe situation. And then the exposure to that over and over again uh, will hopefully just make it less of an issue. Now that there are so many more affordable VR headsets, uh, there is a real impact on mental health. It's called VRET. V-R-E-T, virtual, I just like saying that, (laughs) virtual reality exposure therapy. Um, A lot of it started back in the 1990s. It actually started with veterans suffering from PTSD. Dr. Albert Skip Rizzo, that's fun, director of medical virtual reality at the Institute for Creative Technology at USC, created a program called Brave Mind. And it started being used around the world for veterans. It was various components, uh, such as the VR environment, a vibrotactile platform, which (laughs) delivers sensations associated with explosions and firefights and even a scent machine, which emits smells like diesel fuel, garbage, and gunpowder at specific times. Diesel fuel, garbage, and gunpowder. Who picked that little trio (laughs) of nonsense? Horrible. Well, it's, it's for veterans. I assume that's what it smells like where they're... Where they're shooting their guns. I feel so much worse Why, about... Who gets in a fight in a cotton candy factory? Yes, I... Yo, you're right. Yeah. That's what we need. A cotton candy factory. Candy corn uh, battles. <laughs> I want somebody rewrite Call of Duty, and it needs to be in Candyland. <laughs> <laughs> so now... Uh, as I mentioned, that things have gotten so much cheaper as far as with headsets, Vret is being used to combat so many other phobias. I found a place in San Diego called the Virtual Reality Medical Center, and it has a system for treating those people that are afraid of flying. It has software and hardware complete with actual airplane seats and a subwoofer system to mimic the sight, sounds, and feeling of flying. Wow. Uh, they also have whole full setups for fear of driving, fear of heights, fear of public speaking, claustrophobia, agoraphobia, needles in blood, spiders, and thunderstorms. Wow. So they just, you go there and you're put in this sort of pod and they just 
make it come to life. The thing that you are the most fear of. And then at any time they can turn it off. If it gets too much, they can, in, they can uh, heighten the experience. I guess more spiders, more agoraphobia, <laughs> like it, the spaces get even wider. I'm not exactly sure how they would do that. Uh, but to finish this up, clinical studies of virtual reality treatment uh, over the past seven years reveal a success rate of approximately 92%. Wow. What I think we might do is I'm going to do that for you, and but I'm going to go ahead and program it. So it'll be a really delightful twist on About some the- real <laughs> exposure therapy. It'll be sort of my take knowing you. <laughs> We're going to do it. It'll be great. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. It's done. And (laughs) compile. Welcome to What's That Smell? A sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week we drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. And you know what? Here's a bit of an announcement. You should let us hear from you about your anxieties. Here's how you do it. Open the email box that you have on your little computing device and send an email to somethingstinky at rashpixel.fm. Again, somethingstinky at rashpixel.fm and you can write an email in prose and text or you can attach an audio file that uh, actually is your voice talking to us about your anxiety. We'd prefer your voice. You don't have to give us your name, but share a story uh, with your anxiety and, and uh, let's talk about it on the show. That'll be a lot of fun. What do you think, Tommy? I love that idea and I do not care for something stinky at <laughs> rashpixel.fm, but that choice was made without me. <laughs> yes, it was. In spite of you, I think is the word that we're going <laughs> for here in spite of you now tommy on to the show i will go first this week tommy i love what i do i really do i love my job i do i it's it is a it is a fine job that i have i get to wake up every morning and i get to work with a a variety of great people and uh, i love my office and i love creating things and putting them out in the world when i'm you know i love podcasting with other people when i'm not podcasting with you i'm podcasting with a a whole variety of of folks on the internet what i know other than just me In addition to just you, Tommy, in addition. Who are these other people? <laughs> hmm, I'll need a list. The Go first ahead. podcast that I ever recorded went live on June 6th, 2006. Do you even remember? Wow. There was no iPhone back in 2006. Yeah. Bananas. You had to sync audio to your iPod. It was just like a like a brigand, <laughs> like Vikings. Terrible. <laughs> And in that time, I have recorded and produced 1,833 individual episodes across 16 podcast shows that I've done. I'm always thinking about it. I'm always noodling on new ways to talk about a subject or teach a concept. I'm also a photographer. I make photographs and videos for myself and clients. I love that work, too. And I'm writing a book. And I hate talking about it, but also... Jeez, Louise. And you're a great cook. (laughs) Well, see, that's the problem. I am a great cook and I'm handsome and I'm, that's not the point. Why do you spin it that way? You're terrible. Here's the thing. I hate talking about it, but I also can't quite stop myself from talking about it. And I wanted to find out where that comes from. It's one of those things that it, it is the push and the pull of the work that I do. So 
Hmm. Let's do a little flashback. About 15 years ago, I, I went into counseling with my wife. We we were doing a tune-up. You know, we'd only been married for a few years, and we, we wanted to make sure we were doing it right. You know, you got to make sure that okay. they uh, take the training wheels off. We're doing okay. Are we okay? We're okay. Give us a push down the street. After a handful of sessions, the doc says, you know, you guys are great. I have no more issues with you as a couple. And if I did, I'd be making oh. them up to keep you in the chair. You guys are fine. Pete. I would love to talk more about uh, your ADHD. Oh, if you think that would be helpful. And that's when I was diagnosed with ADHD in attentive type. I did not know. Oh. I had never associated myself with it. He he prescribed you in through the side hatch. He did. He, did. he <laughs> went crazy. in through the side door, which I thought was uh, fascinating. You know, I and it's funny. I, I went to school with kids who had ADHD. They were all on, you know, Adderall or whatever they were on. Uh, but I had no idea. And and what's more, I had never associated myself with those kids. Huh. Of course, I also couldn't take notes or pay attention in class or do well on tests or finish tests. And I didn't turn in any writing assignment on time through high school, but I never saw them. <laughs> in Clearly me. unrelated. Clearly yeah. unrelated. Right. So the process of discernment of ADHD discernment was was pretty powerful for me. And it answered some other questions, uh, too. Part of the challenge that I'd had in, in college with the nightmares about taphophobia from from our conversation last week, you know, being buried alive. Mm -hmm. There's there's a waking stress that paralleled those dreams. And they were all wrapped up in these thoughts that I could not shake. Right. And I mean that literally. I would lie in bed and find myself literally trying to shake my head back and forth as a way to break out of thoughts of deadlines and closing grade books and failing and Ooh. visualizing my classmates graduating from college. You know, but I'm visualizing it from the audience because I didn't make the cut. Right? Oh, no. It's terrible. And I would try like turning up music in there. I had this I had this uh, concrete blonde album that I listened to. Uh, oh, my God, way too much. <laughs> and I'd turn that up way loud and then I would turn it down and I'd put on Sounds of the Rainforest and turn the lights down. And I don't know if you remember my room in college, but I, it would go from having lots of bright lights to having all the lights covered in like green and blue cloth. Right. Trying to dim right. it and make it color you know, like it really kind of subdue the, the sensory experience. I tried everything. Uh, and, and so just, you know, under duress, I, I could not shake the need to both produce things for others to see and to perform while at the same time not being able to face the thought of others seeing it. The fear was fear of failure, fear of not being able to deliver. Uh, what a fantastic segue you provide for me today. Tom. <laughs> I did it. You are an expert <laughs> media professional. Uh, it is sort of a complex bouquet of words that I've been trying to wrap my head around. And, and I think I, I think you can help me. The first, I have these this sense of Athazagoraphobia. Think about that. Athazagoraphobia. Mm -hmm. Okay. Athazagoraphobia. Okay. The other side of that tug of war is imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome. And these are two things that are related but opposite. In the first case, athazagoraphobia is the fear of being forgotten. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. I feel that one. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. 
right? So it's often triggered by those who were left alone when they were young in some sort of trauma, whether they found themselves, you know, stuck in a room in a fire or, uh, you know, somebody who went through a traumatic war event in their in their town or or something like that. And they found themselves alone. That is that's often triggers a thesagoraphobia as sort of uh, abuse situation associated with PTSD. Mm. The other side is those who are experiencing uh, Alzheimer's or dementia who, you know, when lucid fear that the next time they have an episode Ugh. because they're aware of it, they fear that they will never recover and they'll never be able to come back out of it. That is right. not sp- what I am experiencing, right? And I don't have any sort of explicit PTSD connection that I am aware of, of, of being alone, left alone somehow uh, in, in some traumatizing way. Uh, for me, it's this obsessive focus on connecting, on trying again and again to feel like I'm part of a community and that my contributions have meaning. And I'm always mm. thinking about that, right? So that's part one. Mm-hmm. In the latter case, this is actually far more troublesome for me. This imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome, it's the fear of being discovered as a fraud. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Checks out. Sure. In my case, and I and I feel like in in yours as well, potentially, that that all I worry that all these things that I'm creating are going to be outed as nonsense, right? As snake oil, that my contributions somehow don't hmm. live up to the veneer or the packaging. And so here is the literature talking. All right. So imagine me, but now I'm a book. Oh, good. Despite external evidence of their competence, those exhibiting the syndrome remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve the success they have achieved. Proof of success is dismissed as luck, timing, or as a result of deceiving others into thinking they are more intelligent and competent than they really are. So I read about that and it sounds so logical. Right. Those people surely do that. And then I think I do, too. I sure am lucky (laughs) and not intentional and sure glad I'm here when I am, because if it were any other time, I would be in a ditch. (laughs) And everybody who actually likes the stuff that I create, they must be idiots. You've had a lot of well-earned success in your life. Have you had a lot of things go poorly? Or be received poorly where you've really put yourself out there, either artistically or in another kind of way, and for people to say, boo, thumbs down, no thank you. Well, see, now, um, no. Because that doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be hand in hand, but that's what makes it more of a actual phobia, is that you're always waiting yeah, for that. Yeah, right. That's the thing. Like there's a there is another shoe. That hasn't dropped. Okay. Right. That's that's the thing. Right. That is I don't have any like I I have no I'm you know, I don't have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Tom, Uh, that I'm still waiting for. Let's just say I'm working on it. Yeah. (laughs) Got some calls to make. Yeah. Don't worry. Uh, and, And yet I still feel like around the next corner that everything that I create is fragile. And so uh, Mm. it makes me I I read this bit that says, you know, here's how we we look at imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon. And it makes me feel not one iota better about the world around me. (laughs) This is a real thing. And I still feel terrible about it. There isn't a single day that I push submit or publish that I don't have to walk through that flash of like mindfulness dissociation from my finger so that I click the button. Because if I were still connected to that finger, I might not do it. And after I do it, right. I have to walk away. I have to walk yeah. away or risk it. Now, I-, I will also say that there are people out there who also 
we would perceive as being successful in their own lives who have this same push-pull, this need to create, and this feeling of fear of being found out. And some of those people are on the record uh, as saying that they exhibit this same set of conditions. I was pleased to find out Maya Angelou and Tom Hanks and Michelle Pfeiffer and Chuck Lorre and Neil Gaiman and John Green and Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Really? I feel like I'm in a damaged club, but it's a, it's a nice club <laughs> But all it's the a same. good club to be it's a part of. It's a good of. club yeah. to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all alone, but I'm in good company. So it's not an official disorder, this thing. It, there is no DSM mm-hmm. support this week, but the call for treatment uh, ironically comes in the form of creating a support group uh, with the people you trust and love. And group therapy, a targeted group therapy, they say works very well. Uh, and, and I think for me, uh, in large part, the communities that come together around some of the podcasts that I'm involved in have served that purpose, that... Mm. These are people who I trust and love and building that muscle that it takes to get over yourself long enough to ask them to help you reflect critically. That's really important for me to reflect critically on yourself and on, on myself and on my achievements and, and my work and my contributions. I have to it, it's a I, I guess I've chosen a podcast <laughs> to help me through this sure. <laughs> and you and everybody else uh, to help reflect. Now, what I find so interesting about this is that as soon as I started talking about it, you uh, made uh, agreement sounds. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. I make a lot of sounds all the time. I didn't know which sound. I'm I'm watching Netflix. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I have been lucky enough to have a certain amount of success in endeavors that I've tried in either performing or writing or directing, things like that. Um, and yet there is still a part of me very much that every time it's as if every time is the first time. Yeah. Uh, and I've been working on it. Actually, I can go ahead and admit that I am in therapy, that I do have a therapist. She is wonderful. And one of the things that we're really trying to work on is why I seem to lack the ability to bank past success and put that as confidence for the future. Oh, yes. Yes. Hallelujah. That, I, I miss I'm missing that gene. Yeah. That's like, well, so much of this is gone or like uh you know, there's the show that I'm a part. It doesn't matter what the show is, but there's a show I'm a part of every uh, three months. Uh, it's for charity and it's a singing and dancing thing. Well, not dancing. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, but it's singing. And I've been lucky enough to be in 20 of 23 of them. And every time it's time for the first one to start, the anticipation worry is through the roof. Yeah. Uh, and granted that part of that is healthy. That's performance anxiety. That's a healthy yes. kind of anxiety. Keeps you sharp. Keeps you moving. I mean, I dearly love doing the show so much, but it's a as if it's the first time I've ever been out on a stage. Right. I need to be able to keep past success and apply it to the future, and I'm just not built that way. When you said the word fragility, that's the word that really came through, uh, that even though I would like to think that I've created a bit of a fortress or at least a foundation of success to build off of, it still feels very in, it feels still very fragile, yeah. very movable, and that's tough. So I can definitely relate to this. I I love that you're talking about banking past success for future confidence. I actually I have an, a a journal that I do specifically this as a practice, right? Where I take things when I get kind comments that come in of, over past shows that I've done or kind you know reviews that come over the photography or the videos, whatever. I'll copy and paste those and I'll put them in this journal, right? In this online, it's a document that I have, oh, and I keep that. That's smart. And when I am feeling at my lowest, I'll sometimes open that up and I'll read it. And this is where the real challenge comes in: that when I read it, 
dissociated from time, right? Say when I need it six months later, it's written for somebody else. Like I'm reading yes. it like a neutral third party. And my response is, wow, yes. he must be very proud. <laughs> <laughs> I go one step further and I tear it apart. Oh, well, he yeah. has to say that because he's my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Or yep. he has to say that or she has to say it's always he. It's the same. He his name's Steve. <laughs> no. Um, is he the crazy, he has crazy, to say that crazy guy? <laughs> you owe that guy. Something. Oh, that I mentioned before. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's Scott. But he's, he's he, he can apply to this, too. Uh, <laughs> but no, that I that I will find ways to tear it apart to make it in devalue. Yes. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. It's very self-destructive and there's no reason for it. That, there is no reason for it. We're, there is no reason. You're absolutely right. And I find it both uh, heartening and disheartening to talk to you, That's which is the, the whole substance of the challenge, which is the fear of not being remembered and not being forgotten. Right. Uh, yeah. And that is that is I find the existence in between that space paralyzing. Uh, and, and just the act of doing this show and talking about it is paralyzing. Yeah. So. I wonder if it'll get published. Here's hoping. <laughs> Hearing that you, I, it is really a Misery Loves Company kind of a thing. Hearing that Tom Hanks and you, two people <laughs> right right, right next to each other uh, in the industry, I mean, that also feel that way because a lot of the time I do spend time looking at other people and thinking, why can't I do what they're doing? They, they're so confident and I'm not. But most people do think that I'm completely confident. Yeah. It's just an outwards sort of uh, the vibe that you give off is different than what you're feeling inside. And it's good to know that the people, even titans of industry and stuff, still have these feelings because the most important thing is that we continue to create. Mm -hmm. You were saying that all of this is solved by Concrete Blonde? Pete? Tommy? I got a gross one this week. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> This is something I deal with all the time, and I was going to bring it up uh, potentially on the first episode, but then you brought up your poop smells idea <laughs> on episode one, and I wanted to wait until at least episode four because I didn't want think people to think this was going to be a poop podcast or a poop podcast, oh, if no. you will. It's gross, and I'm sorry, right. but I know that I'm not alone, and we need to talk about it. It is anxiety of going to the bathroom when other people are in the same room and can hear it and smell it. I'm sorry. We're, we're doing this this week. And let's tear the Band-Aid off, Pete. It is not about number one. Number one can be broadcast over a G-damned megaphone for all I care. The world can hear me do number one. I will pee in front of the Pope. We're talking about going number two. When others are around, and I hate it, and it gives me anxiety, and I know it must for other people, so let's get into it. There is a word for it. Oh, no. It's not gross. Okay. Uh, it is parcopressis, P-A-R-C-O-P-R-E-S-I-S. Also termed, and this is gross, psychogenic fecal retention. Hmm. Psychogenic fecal retention? Ah, that right? sounds like it hurts. It's the inability to defecate without a certain level of privacy. The level of privacy involved varies from sufferer to sufferer, but the condition actually has a third term, which I think is very delightful. Would you like to hear what it is? <sighs> okay. Shy bowel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And I like that because it makes my downstairs area sound like a southern <laughs> bell. Just like, oh, time for a movement, but my bell is so shy. Oh. Okay, so where could this possibly come from? I did some research. A lot of our listeners will already know some of this stuff. Uh, but some old smarties have a couple of ideas. Number one, our old weirdo Freud, uh, he says that the anal stage 
that follows the oral stage of infant or early childhood development is a time when the infant's attention moves more from oral stimulation to anal stimulation. Gross. Uh, but basically, he thinks that some of this could come from children that experience any kind of conflict during toilet training or you're too strongly chastised for accidents, anything like that may develop anal retentive traits. That's what anal retentiveness comes from, is wanting to take away any of this animalistic kind of need to do that can come across as orderliness, stubbornness, and compulsions for control. I definitely am not orderly if you could see my apartment right now. That is not my problem at all. So that's one option, is that it's the past trauma coming back to haunt us. Would you like to know the number two one? The number second one? I'm (laughs) still... I'm still stuck on this. So you're saying people like order because they really need to poop but can't? You want to deny the need to do that. And so you your your denial of something as animalistic and as natural as using the restroom is also uh, can come out in your need for everything to be as neat as possible. You're defying your animalistic nature. So you're creating order in a world that is trying to force its own order on you. All right. I believe is that sort of a, a real dumb boil down of anal retentiveness. I will I will uh, uh, go along with that in order for you to deliver number two. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Uh, number two, um, it could come down just to a lack of control. This is another sort of same way, but it gets a little bit different in that in college, I read The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker, and I keep it on my bookshelf in my apartment so people think that I'm fancy. I haven't read in a long time, but I know that he posits that the act of defecations can be seen as an admission. This goes along a lot with what I was talking about before, that we are just animals. Mm-hmm. And if we are animals, what are we going to do eventually? Poop. Die. Oh, die. Yeah, I meant your thing. <laughs> yeah. That was a sound drop, right? You just have a button you can press and you say, poo, yeah. in this little weird voice. And so negating the outward signals of said animal functions is a, an attempt to deny death itself. Yeah. That if I can control this, then I won't die. Maybe that is true. I don't know of any huge problems that I went through during toilet training. Of course, I'm afraid of death. Who isn't? But I don't think go around and talk about it all the time. I just know that it's so gross and so embarrassing. And I don't exactly understand why. For some reason, I don't want anyone to know that I'm using a bathroom for exactly what the bathroom is designed for. We need to do it. We all need to do it. It's there. And I do it. I'm fine in the comfort of my own bathroom. But in public, I feel the need to tiptoe around the entire situation. And I hate it. Do you suffer from anything like this? I uh, I don't. Yeah. I I don't deal with this in particular. I know people who do and struggle with you this. You love it. I You just keep the stall yeah, door I, open. <laughs> I, I stand up and, and because I like to really accentuate. <laughs> what? You, no. Uh, look, I don't uh, deal with this. And I, I, I don't know that you would say, oh, Pete, he's loud and proud in the bathroom. That's that's not the point. Right. But I don't really have a problem, you know, letting it go. I am. I does this go in? Do, do you have any physiological issues that come out of this? Like, will you will you hold it so long that you'll impact yourself? Like, is that a no, I have had to I've had to just get over it. OK. Um, and so I don't have uh, official I scrolled down, so I don't remember what the word was. Uh, I don't because I do not actually suffer that much. Yeah. Meaning I do not. But for a long time, I would. And there were times uh, one or two times when I actually had to go home from school. Wow. In order to take care of something because I just refused to do it in the public restroom. So it used to be a lot worse. Yeah. I've coaxed myself through it. But still, I mean, 
Ugh, let's get into it. There, there are things. I mean, I'm forty thousand years old. I'm clearly an adult, and yet. And I apologize for the listeners. I'll try to keep this as nice as possible. But when I release, I also flush at the same time. You do. Like I keep. To hide the sound and the. To how? To really just the sound. Okay. uh, To hide any of that. I and I actually do. Do you suffer from like some really? Do you do you have some anomalous sounds that accompany your bathroom behavior? Like when you do it, does it whistle? I don't know. When you poop, it sounds like a harmonica, right? right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I poop a bad. I poop a bagpipe every time. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I use the restroom, it sounds like a cop's funeral. No, it's nothing. It's nothing out of the ordinary, and it's nothing I've heard far worse in every public restroom I've ever been. But it's not mine. Yeah, something about it being mine, and that's going to be embarrassing. And so the fact a the fact that public restrooms don't have music or white noise blaring in them all the time is so dumb because no one wants to hear this. Yes, and people that are on their phones and toilets are the worst, anyways. They should just stay there in the toilets for forever. <laughs> but to have that, like, I would rather have the sound of a child screaming <laughs> than just have like, a child that I know, a good child that people like, like, then, then just have this dumb silence. Like, why are we pooping in a library? There's no reason. And then number two, here's number two, is the fact that I get it that you have to know that's how maybe you know how people are in there. But the thing is, like if you're pooping at somewhere where you're, the, ugh, I hate talking about this, but I've got to do it. <laughs> that uh, if it's somewhere that you've got to be a lot, like a, if you're in a mall or something, let's do this. Airport bathroom, let it fly. Uh-huh. But if you're like at your workplace or something, people can see your shoes. Oh. So then I'm consumed by the, by the idea that if something happens and I make my sounds and my smells and they'll be like, huh, white vans, eh? And then later, as Susie from accounting will send an email to everyone saying that I'm a horrible, gross person. <laughs> and she sends an email saying, hey, I just walked past the bathroom and who was it that was singing Danny Boy while they were pooping? <laughs> And what was Susie doing in the men's restaurant? Well, it's twenty, it's twenty eighteen. Fair enough. Yeah. So I don't understand why we don't take care of those things. Like if you go into a restaurant and it's kind of dark and the stalls are separate and there's music playing, it's so comfortable. And we should just do that all the time because I just hate every part of it. And I'm sorry that you can't relate to I'm glad you can't relate to it, but I assume some people will be I I assure you people can relate to it and it, it just because I can't I know people who can and and you know I would I would say by extension and and that that there are I had this conversation with some friends a, a couple married couple been married many many years and they still uh like have complete 100% privacy in the bathroom Mm. They won't pee in front of each other. They won't poop in front of each other. They won't do anything in front of each other uh, with the exception of maybe putting toothbrush on their toothpaste. Like that is a place that is completely private. And in their case, in some cases, it's just cultural. Like, well, we have privacy in the bathroom, whatever. In their case, it's because of they both share that that issue that you are describing, even with each other, the, the person that they know and love the most in the world. But I can see that. I can see that happening. Yeah. I mean, some of my closest friends, if I have to use the restroom in their place, it freaks me out a little bit. Yeah. I don't, I just don't like it. Luckily, it doesn't uh, stop me up. 
the whole way, that like I said lucky. before. Yeah, but because I mean, that's a serious thing. Yeah, because it can be really, yeah, serious. Can be really yes. serious. Yes, yeah. I did do a little bit of hunting around. Uh, while this is not a medically recognized condition, there are, like you said, a ton of people talking about this on the internet. There is a website called toiletanxiety.org. And they say that they are looking for participants in research related to toilet anxiety. And if they're interested, please look at their list of studies. I looked at it, and it says studies are starting sometime this month. There's no sort of update. But there are a couple different websites that are actively trying to make a community for this, just for people to talk about it and try to figure out what it is. There is also one uh, that is just related to number one. I don't remember what that word is. It was another word that started with P, probably. <laughs> uh, but then there's also, if you want to, you can go to shybowel.com. Oh, <laughs> no, that's not my personal website. But that is another place where you can find more research that's being done and trying to get this treated more seriously uh, for people that really need help. I don't know what to say about <laughs> shybowel.com, but I just got there and the image is so delicious. And when I say delicious, I just mean... It's amazing. Their motto is lifting the lid on shy bowel. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are I sure that's not my website? <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. And, if you can't laugh at that, no, what can you, you shouldn't do? Laugh the, at anything. You, uh, right? the, the, you were right. The word was uh, the word does start with a p, which I find really ironic. The equivalent problem with yeah. urination is. Paruresis. Paruresis? Psycho Puri psychogenic Paruresis. urinary okay. retention. Paruresis and parcopressis. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Paruresis. In, in case you have And neither problem. neither of them again are recognized as a medical condition. Yet. No. No. At all. But right now, and I don't think and it's clearly not a medical condition for me, but it's a damn travesty <laughs> what's going on in bathrooms and I don't want to be a part of it anymore. <laughs> We're coming after you. Bathrooms! <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Ugh! Don't get me started about Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scentofapodcast. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. The point is you just go to Audible, you pick any book out of their 180,000, you put in Scent of a Podcast, and they give it to you for free for 30 days. You get to keep it no matter what. Yeah, you just keep it. You can listen to it over and over again. And here's where I'd like you to start. I'm just going to suggest <laughs> one of my very favorite fun uh, science fiction. I'm going to call it pre-apocalyptic science fiction uh, series. Mm. This is book one of the series, The Last Policeman. And I love... Oh, love that book. Oh, love it. I adore it. I, I adore it because the concept is so fresh. What happens if you are a policeman and you're trying to do your job but the entire planet has been told that the end of the world is coming in six months what do you do when people just don't care about the law anymore and that is what this novel sets up that is the world this novel sets up and it, it is the beginning of a three book trilogy that actually leads to the uh, end of the world and i found it fascinating and fun and sometimes gritty it's by ben h winters uh, narrated by peter burkrot uh, and it is, it's just great, all up and down great. So The Last Policeman, 
Check it out. Search for it at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. For you, the listeners of What That Smell, Audible is offering their free audiobook download with the free 30-day trial. You can peruse the catalog and find all the great books that you've always wanted to listen to. Now you can reclaim the time that you are wasting on the bus, Ugh. on the train, Ugh. in the car. Your commute's a disaster. Face it. It's a disaster. Ah! You get out of the car full of just self-loathing and rot. Ah, you're a failure. You could have learned something. Ah! You could have done something with your life. You could have listened to The Last Policeman about <laughs> the end of the world. What this All I'm saying is reclaim your time. Free audiobook. Audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Do yourself a favor. You're better than that. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Today's tune that we've been listening to is Get It Out by Alan Ohana from the album The Band Is Back. You can find this show at rashpixel.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are served. We don't pay to advertise this show, so we appreciate you sharing with others you think would be interested. Since we're a new show, those five-star reviews in iTunes really help others to learn about this show. So if you like what you've heard, uh, if you like listening to me and Tommy uh, share our own deepest, darkest secrets, share the love with a review and a comment over on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Coming up next week. It's like a hue light. Right. It's like a hue light. It'll change color to lure people like me. Right. And then you go up and it eats you with its nightmare teeth. <laughs> Evolution, let that happen. That's a disaster. And sharks are just wet murder machines. <laughs> okay, let me first say that HP Lovecraft would have been a crazy smartphone addict. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was on. not talking to anyone on the he bus. He was like, he was patient no. number one. Uh, <laughs> What is your sense of fashion? <laughs> um, I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Until then, I'm Tommy Metz the Third. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? 